came a long way. That's what the song say. And I could do all things. I could do all things. Yeah, I could do all things. Yeah, yeah, we came a long way. Hey, what's up? What's going on? And welcome to the Be Real Podcast, where we keep it real on social issues, history, news, faith, and everything in between. It's your one-stop podcast with thought-provoking talk and real content. Now, it's time to get real with your host, Brandon Mosley. What's up? You already know I'm going to tell you. Swag it out. I can do all things, yeah, yeah. And that's what the songs say. I can do all things, I can do all things, yeah, yeah. Keep going, y'all, don't give up. You can do all things. What's going on? It's another beautiful day in the neighborhood, Be Real Podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening and tuning in. Um, and if you haven't yet, please, if you listen to it, the uh, podcast through Apple iPodcast, go ahead and hit me with a five-star review and uh, write a wonderful review for your guy one time. Um, also, feel free to to uh, message me on any of my um, accounts that I hold, social media, which is the Be Real Podcast. That's on Facebook and Instagram. And also, you can email me. The email is bmosley at push, P-U-S-H, change.org. Also, 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 don't forget, if you haven't listened to any of the, the other seven episodes, please go back and listen to them. I promise you will enjoy them. I think you will, personally. Uh, but we have a jam-packed show today. We have a guest. Um, so we're going to get to that pretty quickly. But before we do, um, I just want to preference what we're talking about. So the title of this episode is the gospel of social justice. And with that being said, we're going to be talking about the place church may hold in social justice and some of the history, which will be brought up in this conversation. Um, for me, church is, you know, part of who I am. I grew up in church. Um, I started preaching at the age of six. Um, I became a licensed minister at 18 ordained elder years later. Um, so that's a part of who I am. And so I have many stories about the church, and you know I, I, I'm going to always give you guys a story, but the one I have is I was in, I want to say like seventh grade or something like that, and I'm sitting in the back of the church, and it's a fairly fairly large church at the time. Um, shout out to Friendship Christian Fellowship Church I grew up in. Um, and my dad was a elder at the time, sitting in the pulpit, and uh, I guess I was sitting next to my cousin, and, and we were talking. Um, and it's about to be, I guess, offering time. So we're, we're chopping it up while they're getting ready to have us, you know, walk around and give uh, to give to the church. I'm in line. My dad grabs me up. <sighs> Something dramatic in front of everyone. Right. And I'm just like, I'm in maybe seventh grade. I remember having like a black Laker jacket on um, one of those bomber jackets or whatever. And um, I'm just so embarrassed. Right. He snatching me up, takes me to the back and was like, what are you doing talking? I saw you talking the whole time. I'm tired of it. I'm like, bro, what did I do? <laughs> oh man, I just said a couple words to my cousin and he's not getting no heat. I'm getting all of it. So um, he said, that's it. I know how we're going to fix this. I said, how are we going to fix this? What, what, what do you mean we? We talking French? So 
Pops put me in the front row next to the first lady of the church. When I say right next to the first lady of the church, I mean, shout out, Sister Wooten, literally right next to her, the seat next to her. Mind you, we have a few hundred people in the church, so it's not like a small church. It's it's a pretty decent-sized church, and I'm sitting in the front row. I was sweating. When I said I was sweating, because I was sweating over the embarrassment, because it was a cold day. That's why I had a jacket on. So I'm sweating over the embarrassment. Like I felt like every eye was on me, like, bro, you got... You got embarrassed by your dad in front of everybody. So I'm just feeling so dumb. I'm, and at the end of the service, I'm thinking, okay, I made it through that service. I'm good now. I'm going to go back to my seat in the back where everybody else is sitting and chilling. Man, I get in the car and Pop said, well, did you like that seat? I guess it was cool. That's your seat for now on. I said, oh, bro. So I sat there for months. I mean, like six, seven months. And at first, I, I, mean, I was like, man, it's not cool. But, you know, it ended up being, for me, actually, I ended up liking it. Because um, the first lady was super cool with me. And um, always have, always, here's your seat. Don't forget your seat, right? Then when guests would come, I would have to move over one or two. But I still had that seat in the front. And um, then it got to a point where my dad was like, okay, you can sit behind the deacons. And I was like, man, I kind of want to still sit here though but it's all right and I got used to sitting in the front row um and that kind of became my seat the rest of my life you know in, in terms of church um sitting closer to the front um it was a, a lesson it was embarrassment but um I learned a lot from it so yeah um that that's that's church for you sometimes right so with that being said I, I don't want to hold up any longer so let's get straight to this um enjoy this this interview Hey, what's up, guys? So we have an amazing show for you today, and I'm just so happy to have our guest here. I'm going to let him introduce himself, so take it away, sir. What's going on? Uh, first and foremost, Brandon, thank you for having me on the Be Real podcast, man. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Lance Penland, Moreno Valley native, uh, husband, father, professional taboo player, if you don't know. Um, man, just, just an all-around uh, loving person. I've committed my life. Uh, to receiving and sharing the character of Christ, and I believe his character is love. Um, and man, just I'm just I'm just a regular dude, man, who loves people and, and love the Lord. That's that's me. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And uh, Les didn't didn't uh, let you guys know he is a pastor as well. Um, amazing pastor outside of uh, inside the city of Riverside. Um, and I know this ministry is a ministry of character and a minister of uh, caring. And the reason why I wanted to have him on this episode is because we're, we're talking about, you know, what should the church do, especially the uh, black church do in terms of the social unrest and him being a pastor and a young pastor. I think it was a great opportunity to talk to him. And we, we go back um, quite some time. I'll say almost a decade now. Right. I, I would say about yeah. that. Um, and yeah. I, I always saw him in the church. I, I'll have a service. He'll show up or he'll have a service, vice versa. And, uh, coming up in the ranks as, uh, as young ministers. So it's great to see him doing the work. So let's, let's get into it, Lance. So with everything going on today, as you know, just taking a step back, um, what are your thoughts on, on where America is, the social climate of America today? Man, that's, that's a challenging question to answer in this moment as a black man, 
um, because you're almost overwhelmed yeah. by what's happening in society. If uh, if I be honest with you, the one word that comes to my mind is I'm I'm sickened with what's going on. Um, every week, almost or biweekly, I see a beautiful black man being killed on my cell phone. Mm. I see that the police who murder women like Breonna Taylor are not arrested. And, you know, I'm thinking to myself, before I ever have the choice to put on a mask, I don't have the option to put on or take off this black skin. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, it, it, it kills me to know how my country uh, feels about me as an African-American. Um, so it's, it's a struggle for me personally. Um, people that know me know that I, I try to encourage them and say, hey, man, uh, keep keep the, the hope. But I've really been, man, I, I've been feeling overwhelmed as of late, just being honest. You, you mentioned I'm a pastor, and sometimes pastors don't like to give you this side of it. Yeah. But, um, I, I've really struggled as of late with what's going on in our country. Our president said when George Floyd was murdered, he said, well, when the looting starts, mm. that's when the shooting starts. Yeah. And then I watched on this week, uh, in the wake of Jacob Blake being killed and a young man by the name of Kyle Rittenhouse showing up with a gun and shooting uh, multiple people, that their chief of police in Kenosha said, well, people were out after curfew. And if they weren't out after curfew, none of this would have happened. And it seems they never can acknowledge the pain that is associated with being black in America, the challenges. They want to point to other things or bring up other things and really speak from this uh, heartless place, man. And it, it kills me. And Brandon, you a father like me. Yeah. I'm a shout out, you know, to your wife, man. Um, and shout out to my beautiful wife, Ashlyn, as well. And and having young boys, I think about the talk that most parents have with their kids is about sex. Yeah. It's like we don't want our kids, uh, you know, having sex outside of marriage as Christians. And, you know, the reality is that they they may make those grown decisions, but at the very best, you you're praying, you know, wait until you're you come of age where you can make a responsible decision. And if it's up to mom and dad, I would prefer you to wait until marriage, right? But as an African-American, the conversation isn't about sex. The conversation that we loathe having with our children is how to make it home when you're 16. Mm. How to play in the park and not get killed when you're 12. When the police pull you over, it doesn't matter if you were right or wrong. It doesn't matter if you're supposed to be there or not. It doesn't matter if you live on this street I need to make sure that you walk back in this door at the end of the day. And I knew that racial tensions mm. existed in America. I know the history of civil rights in this country, but I'm heartbroken to see and to have my eyes open to the fact that this is where we are in 2020, man. Yeah. Like this is what we're dealing with. This is not <laughs> 1960, you know? This is not, this is not the Jim Crow era. This is not reconstruction. And, and it just breaks my heart, man, that that this is where we are. And I, I can I can ramble, man, because I really I've been I've been um really trying to process my thoughts, especially as Sunday approaches. Yeah. And I, I'm gonna have to uh speak to my congregation about another black man being killed in the streets. And I have to stand up and provide leadership for them. And it's it's challenging when I think we have some of the poorest examples of leadership in government right now. Yeah. Um, when you look at our president uh, and some of the things that he said, not only about um, racism, but with this global pandemic, um, it, it's just heartbreaking, man. I think our country is in a bad place. 
Um, I think there's a lot to learn from it, though. And, and me and you have talked about this in the past, that some of the best ways to learn how to be a good leader is to be under a bad leader. Yeah. Right. Poor, poor leadership can be one of the greatest tools uh, to develop you for great leadership. And um, I, I'm looking at what's happening and, and I don't want to attack Donald Trump, the person. I, I just don't agree with anything he does as the president. Um, and, and it goes down to this. Maya Angelou, the late great Maya, she said it like this. She said, I learned to forget. Or she said, rather, I learned that people will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do. Mm. But people will never forget how you made them feel. feel. Yep. And in 20 years from now, I may forget the Muslim ban. I may forget some of the stuff that he said uh, when he addressed the country. But I'll never forget how Donald Trump has made me feel as a black man in America. Wow. So, I mean, looking at all that, man, just thinking, even looking at the chief of police saying about the curfew deal. I mean, when you even unpack that, you have to realize they allowed uh, white individuals after curfew to walk around with guns. So if, yeah. so normally if it's curfew, they're telling people to go home. So why didn't that happen? It's like some of the questions people have. And another thing that, that the chief of police said, he, he spoke about them having tunnel vision and that's why they didn't notice that white guy after shooting and Kyle, you know, Kyle, 17 year old with a, with a, you know, AR 15. And we're taught police officers are supposed to be fully aware of their surroundings at all times because they live, they're, they're working a life or death job. They say, you know, um, so it, it's, it's kind of scary um, to think about all the things that you've said and, and having two young sons and you having a son as well, that they're cute now and, and cuddly and everyone wants to smile on their face when they get 16, 17 years old, get a little mustache and some, and some weight on them there and some, some height on them, they're, they're now looked as a threat. And yeah. the scary thing is that um, Mr. Blake was seen more as a threat with his back turned with no weapon on him than a 17 year old white male with an AR 15 walking down the street, not even asking him, uh, if that gun belongs to him. Cause normally we've seen so many videos of African-Americans in open carry states being stopped and asked to, um, to show their ID and things of that nature and harkens back to Philando Castillo. He had, he was a registered gun owner and he, he, he was killed because he was a registered gun owner. Um, Cause yeah. he had a gun on him, which was registered, told the police did the right thing, complied and still ended up dying in front of his, uh, fiance and his stepchild. So that's scary. So moving along, just thinking about that and where your position and you being part of church and we grew up in church um, and we understand church and looking at, you mentioned the civil rights movement and things of that nature. Um, should churches be concerned about what's happening today? Is that their concern? Should they, should that matter to the church today? Wow. Um, I don't think, <laughs> I don't know if you can call yourself a church and not be concerned. Mm. <laughs> I think that what's going on is not the church's fault, but it is the church's responsibility to be a part of that change. Um, and the world is in such uproar right now that the church has to be a voice um, in the midst of what's going on. It has to you know, speak truth in the midst of all of the craziness. Like, man, we, we have a pandemic that's killing people. We have, and I'm talking about COVID-19, right? We have this 400 year pandemic of racism that's still killing um, African-Americans in, in our country. And the church 
they, we, we have to uh, come to the table and let people know, you know, what is God saying in this moment? And it's interesting because I've learned that the church is not monolithic, right? Yeah. And, and to even um, take it a, a layer beyond that, the black church is not monolithic. No. And many people feel as if they don't need to address these things. It's irrelevant to them. Um, but, bro, we, we have to get involved. And I, I really feel like we should be a part of the leading uh, of the change in regards um, to these issues. And I, I want to say this, Brandon, and it goes for rather we're talking about these um, these issues with the killings or with um, COVID-19, that not everyone is adversely impacted by this. Yeah. Even in our communities, right? The elephant in the room is with some craziness going on, some people benefit. And I'm talking about churches, right? And after 9-11, churches was packed. Yeah. Right? People people look at the, the news and they're saying, okay, I, I need to come to Jesus. So for some of us, it's like, you know, when everything's regular, my, I got a couple empty pews. Yeah. So they feel, it may be a, a, a sense of, I'm okay with where things are because it brings people to where I'm at. And I think that we need to reject, um, and you know, this, I, I really, this is, this is not, um, some well thought out process. I'm, yeah. I'm processing and communicating with you, but I, I really feel that people have the idea that, man, the world is going to get worse and worse, but that's cool because as it gets worse, people are going to know they need God. And I'm like, no, we, we can't sit back on our laurels, but we have to get engaged and say, yeah, you need God. But God is not okay with what's happening in this country. God is not okay with our young boys and young girls being killed in the park or you not even knocking on the door saying you have a warrant and busting in and just unloading the whole clip. God is not okay with that. And, and we can't be silent as the church, man. We cannot be silent as the church. And it, it, it strikes me to think about, like, you know, Martin Luther King, 1955, in August, after seeing a 14-year-old boy body Emmett yeah. Till, right? And he could have easily went to his church on that Sunday and said, well, it's end times. The time, you know, God is coming, right? And, and we know since Christ left, we've been in end times. That's literally what the Bible tells us, that the disciples at that moment was operating in end times um, because that's when the spirit was flowing and things of that nature. And you know the Bible. We're not going to go too deep. But what if that was his mindset, right? That all he needs to worry about is those members in his church and preaching this sermon on this Sunday and telling everybody we need to get, get into church, um, get in the, the safe haven um, and make sure you pay your tithes and so forth and so on. Um, we'll be in a really dangerous place today, much worse. We're, we're in a really bad place right now, but imagine without a Martin Luther King. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's really vital, like you said, that the church does take some leadership um, because in the last, honestly, since the civil rights movement, the church has taken a, a big step back. Um, and we're talking about just, you know, in terms of African-American church, um, yeah. I grew up church of God in Christ, Baptist, so forth and so on. All these different groups have taken a step back um, and almost said not much of nothing when you look at so Brandon, I want to I want to I want to say this though you know uh, there's there's a great book by Dr. Carrie Bray from um Wright Divinity School in Fort Worth Texas yeah uh, 
I've been reading it. And she um, says in this book that 13% of black churches supported Dr. King. Yeah. So we, we often say like, man, like where's the church? And I'm thinking like, I don't know if we've ever done a great job. That's true. I mean, it has been, it has been leaders from the church who have stepped up. But even when you look at the 13 churches that are now historical landmarks from the civil rights movement, um, it's 13 churches that are landmarks. Why is it not 300 churches that are landmarks? I think to be honest, and even, even with that, when we look at the black culture, black society at the time, majority of people did not join. It was mainly younger people. Um, it's, it's just the sense of, I guess, comfortability, you could say. Yeah. And when I'm saying like the church was not stepping up in terms of leadership, like you had, you had, you had people maybe late to the party, like Church of God of Christ at the time was late to the party, but they, right. they joined the party though. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, I, I feel like it's been such a big span. We're really not having much of anyone join the party. People are, what people are thinking. Cause when you look at, you know, bishops and preachers who are preaching you're not hearing much about these social issues or ills and and, and coming up to the next question that's why I, I, I mean so many millennials truly don't see the church being a part of anything being a part of yeah. this change um and why do you think they feel that why do you think they feel that the church is not really concerned about social justice well i think you you spoke to it when you said churches showed up but they relate to the party. And I don't want to uh, bash churches. I don't, I don't even like to talk about what I'm against. I like yeah. to talk about what I'm for. Yeah. But when you look at the situation, and I'm going to um, equate this to the church of Colin Kaepernick. And four years ago, I want to say two days ago, yeah. was the anniversary of Cap taking a knee yeah. when we're recording this. And Stephen A. Smith was against him. Yep. A lot of the a lot of the talking heads were against them. Everybody was saying, oh, I don't know, I'm not with that. The NFL basically blackballed them. And here we are four years later, and everybody's late to the party. Yeah. And as we look in the history books, yeah, the NFL, you know, they got with them and, and Stephen A got with them and whoever agreed with him. But we have to be willing to take a stand when maybe that's not the popular opinion. Yeah. Yeah. It's not popular, but it's right. It's not what everyone is going with, but it's right. And as ministry leaders, we have community collaborations. We have large donors who are predominantly older and much more conservative. Yeah. We need to get things approved by city boards, right? If you have a building project and you got to get the city to approve what you're doing, I don't know if you're going to be outside right now protesting the police. Yeah, matters what city you're coming from, right? And and looking at that, you, you even looking at Martin Luther King, Dr. King to be exact, when he went out against the Vietnam War, talking about becoming unpopular, I mean, he lost a lot of donors and a lot, yeah. a lot of opportunities. Um, he was really, you know, out there in the wilderness on his own. Um, so that 13%, some say you would have to cut that more than half the amount of support he was receiving from a, the church, and B, from donors and um, white liberals at the time. So he didn't, he lost a lot of support going out against and LBJ. I think we should shift the discussion to not what's wrong with the 87% that didn't support. Yeah. Him. And I'm not saying that you're not doing this. Yeah. 
But I'm saying as a whole, right, our culture, our community, our, our generation, the younger generations who are maybe looking at people in power and saying, well, why don't you support her? Y'all don't understand. And say, hey, King did have those 13 churches turn into national landmarks. Yeah. And they led a movement with, with those 13 churches. Yeah. So, you know, Matthew 17, it says that um, straight is the road and narrow is the gate. Yeah. So it's not everybody that's going to do this. But we are we, we do have some who are, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with us and, and with those who are fighting for their for uh, people's rights and fighting for change. So I do think that there are churches who are, you know, in the in the trenches that are that are in the field doing the work. Definitely. I, I don't ever think. And, you know, this may be an unpopular opinion. I don't ever think we'll have the majority of churches working for that change. It's too much pressure, man. It's too much pressure, but I, I celebrate, I celebrate the churches that are a part of that change. Because today in 2020, when George Floyd and the list, it, you know, it's too many people to name, man. It's too many hashtags. When we look at all of these people, and they're not just hashtags, they're real people with, with children and wives and, and, and husbands and parents. But today, there's so many people, man, having panel discussions and speaking out. But I'm wondering, where were y'all when Tamir Rice got killed? Where were y'all? With Trayvon, and now after this movement has been led and we made so much headway, now people are comfortable, you know. So I, for me, it's like I'm not putting my faith in those that come when it's comfortable. Yeah. But I, I'm, I will appreciate, acknowledge, and honor those who fight when it's not popular. Yeah, and I think part of that fight that why the the growth of people coming in is because of this pandemic. It's because. Everyone, everyone's on. I don't want to say timeout, but we're on timeout. You know what I mean? And, and everybody a timeline on their phone. Exactly. So people have more time to pay attention to issues. Um, where if this would have happened any other time, we would have had the week or two weeks worth of protests, maybe three weeks worth, then yeah. back to work, or the protests wouldn't have been as big because people are not at work. So you're not at work, you're sitting at home, you want to go do something and be productive, I'm going to go to the protest. Um, so so with that being said, like, what is the place, and, and I, this is a, a twofer type of question, what is the place of the church in social justice? And also, like, how can the church help the movement? So I look at, and um, I got this from my big bro, Ben McBride. I can't take credit for this, up, up north in uh, Northern Cali. Him and his brother do amazing work. But I look at uh, activism or social justice work in three different categories. Um, so one is justice activism, right? Yeah. That's what our, our, our friends like at BLM, they fighting for justice. They want to change these laws, these social host ordinances, et cetera. Um, the second is community development type of justice and activism where we're trying to provide for low-income uh, families, whether that's food or housing, um, those who are houseless, right? And then lastly, I would say is heart activism. Yeah. We're literally trying to work to change people. Yeah. First and foremost, as the church, we start with heart activism. Yeah. I'm trying to reach you with Jesus to change your heart and get you to see that no matter what the issue is, racism, uh, xenophobia, children in cages, whatever the issue may be, I'm trying to reach your heart to say, hey, man, that's wrong. Right? Yeah. And that extends into justice activism and it extends into community development but the starting place at as the church is to change hearts yeah issue comes when that is the starting place and the stopping place yeah and what we've often done 
is put our stake in the ground and say, if you're working for justice, I don't care, I don't support it, or I'm not with it. It's too political. Yeah, and if you're working to build houses for people who don't have a house, I'm not interested because I just want to change hearts. And we have to understand that in the process of Jesus changing people's hearts, Mm -hmm. he also met their existential needs. I was just hoping you should say that. (laughs) At almost every turn, Mm -hmm. right? It didn't happen every time, but most of the time, when there was a need, he he also met their need. A story that really has stood out to me in scripture is when Jesus um, healed the paralytic. You know, they put a hole in the roof, they dropped the man through the roof. And it's crazy to me because he says, son, your sins are forgiven. He said that to him first. Yep. And then he healed him and said, take up your bed and walk. And I've always struggled with like, this is weird. Like, I don't really understand the process. But Jesus didn't just change his heart. He also changed his situation. Yes. And I, I realize now that, yes, he became a, a believer. Yes, he got saved. Yes, he was forgiven from his sins. But I believe because the situation was changed, he was able to believe in the God that saved him. Yes. And so many people don't believe in the church. And like, like you and I, many of them were raised in the church. But now they're saying, where is this God when it comes to my situation? Hmm. So I started as a believer. I started having faith in the church. My mama raised me this way, but I don't ever see Jesus or their Jesus showing up in the midst of my problems. I don't ever see him showing up when it comes to uh, uh, the man who just got shot in his back seven times. I don't see the church there. And I think that we need to show up in both spaces, right? And I think that'll really have an impact on those future generations where yes, you can change my heart, but you can also change my world. Yeah. And I, I think it's really important for us to realize I don't, and this, I, I know there's a lot of churches out there who's doing the community outreach, the yeah. um, bringing food, uh, clothing and helping the homeless. There's a lot who's not as well. Um, but I've always been a firm believer. Like you said, that Jesus always met the need physically before you met the need spiritually. Um, and I, I think it goes back to Maslow hierarchy um, yeah. that people can't worry about their spiritual needs or worry about self-actualization until the basic needs are met in their life. And a lot of times all that stuff is in their way and it's kind of difficult. And right now what's in their way is this social justice. And um, like you said, I think, I think the church should play a very major role in it. Um, with that being said, with you, you mentioned like BLM and things of that nature. Um should churches partner with, with organizations like that that are non-religious and that may hold, you know, some beliefs that, that are truly far away from their moral guidance? I think the starting place for this question is I, every church, uh, you know, I, I don't look at church as a democracy. I look at church, I'm talking about an individual local church. Yeah. As a pastor who has a board and I'm accountable to my board and I have members, et cetera. I got people who are faithful every Sunday, they pay tithes every Sunday and they look at me like, all right, pastor, what are we doing? I, I don't think that church um, is a democracy. I think it's a theocracy. Yeah. And that every church should be led by God first and foremost. Um, and that, that may look different in different settings, but that's just my belief. So with that said, I think whatever organization you partner with, you got to be led by God, right? I can't say like, man, you should just be partnering with XYZ organization because it may be your uh, purpose to make a change in this area way over here, right? And I'm telling you to partner with an organization here. With that said, I just want to make uh, that, you know, preface everything with that. You got to be led by God. I think sometimes as churches, 
we are inconsistent with moral high ground. Yeah. And it's like, hey, I'm not going to touch this organization, but you will touch another organization. When it's when it comes to feeding the homeless, it doesn't matter if this organization supports Pride Month or the uh, LGBT community. But when it comes to Black Lives Matter, it's like, well, wait a minute. They affirm trans lives. Where it's like, well, let's slow down. We all should affirm a trans person's life. Yeah, it's life. <laughs> <laughs> like, so you're mad that they don't like that. So I think we need to take a step back. I have the awesome opportunity to sit in on a, on a call. Uh, a pastor friend of mine, Charles Henderson, he invited me to a group of pastors, both black and white. And every Monday we, we get together and just talk about these racial issues. And I'm as pastors from across, across the country. And I brought to them on this week, Brandon, I said, all of us go to Chick-fil-A because they're, they're, they're good. I like their chicken, right? Mm-hmm. I mess with they, they chicken. Popeye's was good, but I, you know, I'm back at Chick-fil-A. And, and, and so we all mess with Chick-fil-A. I get the chicken sandwiches from my youth group and all of that. But every morning, I, well, I try to start saving a little more in the pandemic now, but before the pandemic, I was getting my caramel frappuccino from Starbucks yeah. almost every day. And Starbucks has donated hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to Pride yep. during Pride Month. And I never in my mind say, I'm not going to patronize, support, or go to Starbucks because they support Pride. But for some odd reason, when it comes to people bringing change, we'll say, I don't know if I can support your organization. And I'm not saying don't be prayerful. And don't be led um, by the Holy Spirit in your decision making. But I am saying that don't allow a hypocritical, false sense of moral high ground put you in a place where you can't support an organization whose goal is to bring change. It's not to even put in a, a like uh, anti-Christ agenda. They're trying to change laws, you know. And I can stand out here with you and say I don't see eye to eye with you on everything, but I do want to see. Black men and black women no longer killed by the police or no longer uh, abused by a system that upholds white supremacy. And, and I don't think there's an issue as a church. I actually think you need to have a voice at the table because, and it's not just BLM, there are many organizations whose voice are being heard and heard very loudly. And many of our churches are sitting on the sidelines while others of us are standing right there next to them, letting our message be heard, you know? Yeah. Yeah, you have to be at the table to be able to uh, partake in the meal. So yeah. I, I think it's really important for us to also realize that, you know, someone like Malcolm X, when he spoke to a, a Baptist church, I believe in Chicago, he, he said, you know, I'm going to put my religion in the closet right now because if we start talking that, we're going to have too many problems. But let's figure out how we're going to solve this issue. And I think that's kind of like the same mindset you're just saying, like, you're not putting God in the, in the closet per se or none of those things. You're just putting your your differences to the side to be able to work on a common um, goal. And which is, and what like you said, is that. Go ahead. Because there's a few people who uh, who lead BLM IE, uh, Black Lives Matter IE, who uh, attend my church, right? Um, the president of an organization called Time Dumb, which works like against recidivism here in California. He's a statewide president. He goes to my church. So I, I have partnered with them on a lot of things. Like our church, when they protested here locally, we, we brought milk, water, uh, masks, hand sanitizer. I partnered with them, but I partnered with them with a clear understanding. Y'all know I don't agree with y'all on everything. And y'all don't agree with me on everything. Yeah. But that doesn't stop us from being able to work together to make positive change. And I, I feel like we can have that conversation without being upset with each other, right? It's interesting to me that 
um, you know, I live I live here in Moreno Valley. I live in Sunny Me Ranch, Brandon, and they just built a dispensary near where I live. So first I'm mad because I'm like property value going yeah. down. Like what's going on here? But at the end of the day, I don't know anyone that's mad at me that I don't think you should smoke weed. Yeah. And I'm not mad at you that you do smoke weed. It's that 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 has no impact on us being able to collaborate, partner, and work together. And I take that same mindset with a lot of the work that we do. I may not agree with you on all of these issues, but I see a big picture change. Yeah. I, I would rather pastor in a society that's equitable for everyone and try to change their hearts as opposed to take my ball and go home and say good luck. Yeah. That's good. So I mean, in terms of that, you know, partnering with people, and you also mentioned the idea of activism um, in terms with the heart and, and, and going after the heart. I know Martin Luther King, Dr. King, um, credited Reverend Billy Graham for helping him with a lot of uh, white evangelicals um, by getting at their hearts. And he, yeah. he, he would then almost, you can say, turn them into to Dr. King to start working on the physical side. Right, dealing with the the racism and things of that nature. Um, today, though, um, we see a little bit little bit of a difference. We see a lot of white evangelicals um, being Trump supporters. Um, so, and their stance on police brutality is a little different. And what are your thoughts on 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 that group? And and also keep in mind that, and if you could talk to this at the end of the, this question. Um, concerning Billy Graham's uh, granddaughter, she even spoke at the RNC. So, what are your thoughts on on white evangelicals and what part they should be playing in this movement? Um, you know, this is this is challenging for me to say as a black man. Yeah, just to be honest with you, I got to swallow a little pride to say this, but we need white people in this moment. Definitely. Um, you know, we need them to support what we're doing, being that African-Americans represent 13% of the population, 13, 14% of the population in America. They're the majority culture, we need them. And it pains me to see that our evangelical siblings in faith have aligned themselves so much with a party and a president. As a Christian, you should never be committed to a single party. You should be committed to your faith and just say, hey, I can't agree with you on this because there's there, God doesn't have a party. Jesus doesn't have a party. And no matter what people may parade in front of you and say, hey, this is what we're about. If you take a step back and actually, um, in, in my opinion, just critically think about everything they're doing, <laughs> you would say, okay, that's they're not necessarily Christian parties. Some things I can agree with you here. And on the other side, there are some things I can agree with there. And I really think, and I, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to just, I don't want to go hard, man. Yeah, I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> Got to eat some chat. You be all right. I think that um, right now, some of our our siblings in the faith have sold their integrity. Yeah. For the sake of what they like to see done in the country. And and if I could interject, and it seems like the only thing they want to see done in country is one or two things: Roe v. Wade, yeah. same-sex marriage, and same-sex marriage for them has even took a back, took a major backseat. Their major thing is abortion, and even though in most of their states they darn near uh, push abortion to extinction, and in, in places like Texas, places like 
um, Oklahoma, list goes on where, like in Texas, they show you a picture of the baby before you make a decision, right? Yeah. And there's one to two maybe abortion clinics in, in major states that are held by Republicans. So it's almost like they can't go anywhere to get an abortion. So they've they've won on that front for the most part. It's just they, yeah. they, wanted it, they want it everywhere in America. So that's their one issue. And that didn't become a Republican issue until like the mid 80s. You know, they started getting picked up after 73. But I mean, Reagan didn't pick it up until going into his second term, really. So it's like, that's what they're fighting for. So outside of that, what, what do you think is there is the crust of why they're holding on to, you know, Trump so hard. And even after all the unchristian things he's said and done, they'll still tell you he's used by God. Well, I think that, um, I think that there, there's a, I forget this man's name. I was just watching um, a podcast that my a brother had. I, I, I wish I could get his name right now, but he, he, he said, that there was a study done, and I'm quoting somebody who was quoting somebody, but I, I think this is valuable enough information. <laughs> and I promise, I don't know if you do show notes, but I'll email it to you so you can put it in the show notes. Oh, well. he, he said that um, they, as they study multicultural churches or multi-ethnic churches, which is what often people consider white churches to be, that they only go as far as the comfortability of their white parishioners. Mm. And I think when we start to talk about a lot of issues that maybe Democrats uh, like to come across as progressive about, um, or just issues that have to do with, uh, you know, people who need help, people who are maybe not as affluent as other people, people who may have been marginalized, these conversations get uncomfortable for white people. Yeah. A, because of the history of slavery, right? And your family may have had much more opportunity than my family, and here we are, experiencing the fruit of those opportunities and the head start that you had. And for us to acknowledge that as a white person, you get uncomfortable. So now with white people in your congregation who are not comfortable with some of these social conversations, and, and it goes back to at the risk of losing donors and losing um, opportunities, they keep their mouth shut and they align themselves with people and parties who are not going to make their parishioners uncomfortable. Yeah, And people need to get comfortable being uncomfortable, especially as a Christian. Yeah. The gospel Tells us is divided. Yeah. You know, we, we talk about the grace of the gospel and I, I wholeheartedly am, I'm with grace. I'll die on that mountain. I'll die on that hill. I'm with grace. But with that said, the gospel is divisive. And the reason it's divisive is because it tells you you're wrong, but here's grace. Yeah. Many people don't want to deal with the fact that as a Christian, you need to be able to handle I'm wrong. And there are some things that inherently that's been passed down generation to generation in order to have the conversation we have to acknowledge there's been some wrong that falls on the plate of some people it doesn't fall on the plate of others right but people know and this is just this is my opinion i think you may have some great stuff to add to this but i feel like that is a big starting place on a party presents itself as hey we're this is we're a christian party we're built on christian principles right and are we 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 uphold christian principles and it's like, well, you don't, like you said, you not you don't uphold all of them. You just uphold the ones that make you comfortable. Yeah. And I think the big thing we have to understand, since we're a two-party system in America, it's impossible to be a completely whole-hearted Christian party unless you start yeah. going to third-party system. Because at the end of the day, the umbrella is too large. 
So yeah. the platform, you, you, you even see what, what happened with the Republicans the last, you know, 12 years when the Tea Party started to come in and the Freedom Caucus started to come in, that changed the party completely. I mean, you saw, we saw the change back in 1960s, you know, um, when, when we saw uh, different people come in and brought, and brought in the evangelical ideas, right? Um, the senator from Arizona. Um, so my name escapes me right now, but we have to also understand the same thing with the left. I mean, you know, it has changed and it's consistently going to change because the platform has to be large enough to carry millions of millions of people. So, I mean, the party looks, the Democratic Party looks different here than it does in, let's say, Mississippi, right? Yeah. And that's just a reality. Um, and I think you just have to, when you vote, you have to look at the whole circumstance and the whole, uh, whole every line, if, if that makes sense. You look at everything and, and, and you got to vote what, where you're most comfortable at. Um, but with that being said, I think you kind of answered this somewhat, and I, I just want to give you a chance to see if you want to hearken more on this. Um, what do you, why do you think there's such a gap between white evangelicals and, you know, down home black churches? You know, why is this such a gap? Um, you know, what's happening. We, 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 we are supposedly serving the same God, same Christ. We read the same Bible. Um, but there's a gap when it, when it comes to social issues dealing with African-Americans. One thing I, I'm learning, um, just as I'm in my thirties now, I'm getting a little older. Uh, I deal with more people um, in different spheres than I've ever had in my life. I've learned, and this is a universal truth, of course, but I, you know, as you get older, you realize like, oh, this is a real thing. I've learned that people can only live from their lens. Mm -hmm. And I'm beginning to give more grace with that, that, hey, you know what? It's hard for you to see outside of your experience. Yeah. And what really opened that up for me, and this was, this was recent, is I saw a video of women leaving the club. It was like in a college town. And all of these dudes were grabbing on these women and touching them inappropriately as they were just walking. It was like they were just walking through. And I'm like, wow, you know, I never realized how the struggle is for women when it comes to um, harassment. Yeah. And it's only because I've lived that as a man. And like, I'm not really out here harassing women like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, so like, I just never even put that in my mind. So I, I started to unpack that, like, okay, so she has to be concerned about what she wears, even if she want to wear that, she still got to think about it. And then who goes with her because she got on something that may attract wrong attention. So she need a couple people with, and all these things. And I was like, you know, I live my whole life with this blind spot. And as crazy, I, I always knew that, you know, harassment is wrong and all of that, but I had like a new level of like an epiphany yeah. that I, that was, that, that I did, and this may sound weird because you're like, what are you talking about? Like, you didn't know women were harassed, but I, you know, I hope you're understanding. Yeah, you're what saying, saying to that level, understand rape culture is real. Yeah, like, and just the extreme extent that it, it goes. And I realized in that moment, like, you know, I'm not excusing anybody. I, I don't excuse myself in that. But I'm like, I, I, maybe these people, and not all of them, but some of them, they really don't know. And, and, they, and they're in silos that reinforce what they believe. And we have a responsibility to continue to yell from the mountaintop. We are gonna bring change, whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, 
or rather you want it or not. Yeah. And I, I and it goes back to when we talked about uh, Dr. King. The majority may not ever catch on, but I do believe there will be um, some of our, our our allies who come from other cultures, other races, who will say, "Hey, we'll support." Same thing happened with Dr. King, yep. right? He was writing the letter from Birmingham Prison. Some some uh, white clergy okay. jumped on to support him, and it was out of there. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and oh, I'm sorry. I was just gonna say, and within that letter, you you, you see that there was a lot of black clergymen against him. I mean, before that, yeah. they wrote out an open letter in the newspaper condemning Martin Luther King, Dr. King, and calling him a carpetbagger. So, I mean, it, it kind of goes back to that point. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Um, I, I think that because our history in this country, right, because of how the black church started through the um, AME church, right, in the early 1800s, the lens of black theology, which I uh, love and respect and appreciate and su subscribe to a lot of black theology is different than the lens of white theology. And I, I don't, that's a, I don't, that's a, I don't want to take a podcast like somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we might have another, another one for that one. Uh. <laughs> but I don't think that, I don't think it's wrong to have a theology that speaks to the needs of your people. Makes because sense. I think the gospel is big enough that it can meet your specific needs too. But in the midst of that, you also need to understand what other people are going through. Compassion. But that compassion often comes when you've experienced pain also. Yeah. And, and the crazy thing is like when you speak about the idea of those silos or confirmational bias, in America, that's what's happening full heartedly. I mean, you look at Facebook, Instagram, whatever you, whatever social media you use, they literally create a bubble for you. Then my last um, podcast is about, you know, sundown towns. There's still majority are all white towns all through America who's never yeah. sat down with an African-American, with, with, a, uh, with a Latinx, Chicano, or with someone part of the LGBTQ community. So all they see is either what they see on media what Fox News news would feed them, the movies they like, and the social media that they use. I mean, I, I mean, it went so far. We had people saying that I was lying about sundown towns, and I was a conspiracy theorist. And this is like, I don't. It's not super well known history because everybody doesn't know it, but it's well documented and registered towns. I mean, it's it's not, and and that's what we're facing, and we have to from 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 afar yell out that hey, your little comfort zone is not completely correct. And, and with that being said, do you have any final thoughts um, that you would like to add, sir? Yeah, man. Uh, well, first, appreciate you having me on, man. Episode eight of the Be Real Podcast. Yes, I think sir. this is episode eight. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Uh, I love what you're doing. And I, I just want to say, this can be an overwhelming moment for everyone specifically black people in America and black people all across the world. Yeah. Um, but don't get discouraged. You got to just keep, keep fighting, keep getting up in the morning, doing what you are created to do. Um, keep loving on people. You know what I mean? Um, and, and I think that, I think that it may not ever get where we want it to get in our lifetime, but I believe it will get better. And it, it, it's going to get better through the work that people like, uh, you know, you're doing Brandon, the many people who are listening to this podcast are doing. So don't throw in the towel. I'm telling you, I, I had like a, 
almost had like a breakdown this week, man. Yeah. And I had to come to the terms that, you know what? It's tough. It's overwhelming. It's challenging. And, but we got to keep fighting. We have to keep doing the work. And I almost, I had to talk to one of my homeboys this week. Like, man, a lot of stuff you're saying is racist. Yeah. And, but you know, we at the point of almost not being friends. So we got to clear some stuff up. And it, it may take some, some challenging conversations. It may take you being uncomfortable, you making other people uncomfortable. But the only way that the change is going to come is if we get in those trenches and make the change. Dr. King is known as a legend now, but he wasn't popular then. Nope, not as death. And and that that's how much of these stories go. Ali was not popular Mm-mm. when he was going through what he was going through. We all watched Kaepernick get berated by the media and by the president. The president of the United States yep. was talking against this man. And now he's everybody loves him. So you may have to make an unpopular opinion. You may have to stand strong on something that people don't agree with you on. But what's right is right. And I want to say this about myself, at least. I'm still growing in how I view these things. Yeah. Like, I'm still learning more and reading more and trying to be educated. You know, I, I just so happen to know about Sundown Towns, but I'm not mad at somebody that doesn't. But learn. Listen to what B-Real Podcast is telling you. And learn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Learn about this stuff. And I, I truly believe that that we can make a better tomorrow. And I could I could talk all day, man. I'm a, I'm a preacher, so once I get going, yeah. so I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> that's all right more thoughts is coming to oh, my mind like, <laughs> i already know i already know um with that being said i know you got a lot going on and i want to make sure the audience is aware so if you could tell them some of the some of the uh, projects some of the things you got going on and also where they can find you and also uh, anything about your church you like to add man um so right now in this moment we got a lot of creative content that's uh flooding all social medias you can find me personally, at Lance Penland. That's L-A-N-C-E-P-E-N, as in Nancy, L-A-N-D, across all social medias. You can also find our church across all social, Character Church, at Character Church at characterchurch.org. we got two church albums about to drop in the next 30 days. Got my own personal album about to drop in the next 30 days. We got thousands of sermons online. Not thousands, that's an exaggeration, but we have a bunch of stuff sermons online um we we partnered with a lot of organizations locally in the community this is what i want to say hit me if you're a teacher listening to this if you're a person that has a nonprofit listening to this if you're if you're working with any organization if you're a startup a young person trying to figure it out connect with me our church's main goal right now is supporting people and what they're doing trying to solidify people and what they're doing we just gave a school locally um all their books they needed for the rest of this year the teacher normally does fundraisers. She couldn't do fundraisers to get her kids books. They read um, one book a month. It's a it's an elementary school. We just paid for their books the whole year for all her students. Huh. So we bought 12 books for 25 students. A, a, a young person reached out to me, don't even attend the church. Hey, I'm trying to, I go to CBU, scholarship money's not there. Cashed her out. What I'm telling y'all, this, this is what, and I'm not trying to go on a campaign to visit the church. I'm trying to give you a campaign that if you need help, this is what, this is what we do. We, we are in the business of spreading God's character. That's his love. So forget all the socials. DM me and let me know. Pastor Lance, this is what we're trying to do. And I give you my word, we got you. So, so reach out to me and let me know what's up. Because in this moment, in this pandemic, where a lot of people are being hit, a lot of people are struggling, I believe it's God's will that we help you make it to the other side. 
So let me know how we can help, man. I'll do my best to, to help help the listeners of this Be Real podcast out. Perfect. Pastor Lance, I actually need something. If you can uh, go ahead and hook it. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate you, man. Um, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. Welcome to another Be Inspired moment. And I have to use a quote from Dr. King. It's only fitting. A very popular one and it says this. If you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But by all means, keep moving. In today's society, being bombarded by so much from the social injustice, the pandemic, your personal life, it's really easy to want to stop moving. It's really easy wanting to wanting yourself to take a rest. It's very easy to feel down on yourself. But I'm here to let you know to keep going, keep moving, no matter what it looks like. And with that being said, sometimes we even look at other people's paces and say, why can't I run? Why aren't I uh, running faster? But the real response should be, I'm going the pace that's best for me. Sometimes we're not conditioned to run just yet. We're better off walking. Sometimes our legs aren't strong enough, so we're better off crawling. But the real deal is, you're moving forward. No matter how you're moving, you're going somewhere. So keep moving. Maybe one day you'll fly. Growing up, I was taught that the church was like a hospital. And you could come when you're in need. And today, America's in need. In need of change, love, and leadership. These things was very evident also during the Civil Rights Movement. We saw Dr. King, but not only Dr. King, but Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, and even the pastor, Adam Powell, being a part of change, being part of political change and governmental power, political power. And I believe the church still has that today. So this episode wasn't to bash the church at all, but to shine a light on what the church could continue to do and more that it can do. So with that being said, I truly believe the leadership is there within uh, these evangelical churches as well, that it's going to take more than just African-Americans. It's going to also take believers of all races. So with that being said, you may seem late to the party, but it's still going on. That's what the songs say. And I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things.